Scotty, it sounds to me like you have lots of complaints this week. Is that true? Well, I have lots of complaints every week, John. But so long as you're still vertical to be making the complaints, you can't really complain now, can you? No, no, I, I have a saying that as long as the air is going in and out, life can't be that bad. Uh, I've had a, a few complaints this week. I've been um, uh, I'm working on a Mac app at the moment uh, for a client and I've been um, having to use WK WebView. Um a replacement for the uh, the old what they call legacy web view and uh, it's it, now now I'm at the end of the week with it there are many many things I really like about it it's um, very very good uh, but there are just it's just got this feeling of being half done um, which is a little annoying considering it's been around for a little while so um, yeah it's uh, yeah, if you come from the old web view, I mean, the WK web view on, on the Mac and, and iOS is supposed to have roughly the same um, API. So uh, I, I know a lot of our listeners of me mainly into iOS, so a lot of this should still apply. But, um, you know, if you use the old web view, it's got a, you know, it's got a large um, interface and can do lots of things. Uh, and all that seems to be missing in WK WebView because it is basically it's not it's not been implemented. However, what uh, WK WebView does have is a very powerful interface to the JavaScript inside a a, a web view, uh, uh, you know, a web page, and basically the way you make things work is to um, uh, have to have to in you could. Basically, write a whole bunch of your own JavaScript and inject it into the web page that you're showing, um, and that then gives you an interface that you can call into the um, the web page and call your own JavaScript to manipulate it. Now, if you're going to manipulate web content, then JavaScript is the best way of doing that. So that totally makes sense. Uh, however, to do this, you have to sort of set up a user configuration and all this sort of stuff that has to be put into the web view uh, when it's instantiated, which means that you can't put the web view into Interface Builder. You have to build it in code. And if everything else is in Interface Builder, that means you're now trying to you know, inject a component into a, a, you know, something that already exists, which also makes the... Um, if you're looking to overlay other components, that then becomes a bit more awkward. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's... You know, it, it's code we write all the time, but it's just more awkward. You'd like to be able to lay everything out in IB and just have it there, whereas now you've got to manipulate a whole bunch of stuff around. Um, the documentation on, on it is pretty... Um, well, it, it's like a lot of the documentation on anything in Cocoa, really. It's, you know, the reference documentation is there, but that doesn't reference documentation doesn't help you to know how to use something when you're trying to use it for the first time. So... Uh, so, and so all of that, and eventually I got uh, it doing everything I wanted to do and had JavaScript in there and it was all running. Um, you can you can write JavaScript that calls out into the your native app as well using um, uh, messages that uh, end up coming back through like almost like a delegate into your application. So all that is really powerful. Um, obviously that only works if you put that, that stuff arrives you know, often in in the web page itself. So some of it has to be written for that. 
And then I came to the end and I'll need to print this thing that's going on. And, you know, Web WK WebView has a print method that um, basically just prints blank pages constantly. Uh, so now in this app, I have a, uh, um, I have all this work doing all this beautiful stuff with WK WebView and manipulating um, uh, the, the HTML that I'm getting and doing mighty fine things. But at the end of the day, when I want to print it, I'm having to create a traditional legacy WebView in the background and use its print methods. <laughs> <laughs> And um, had to write some JavaScript to go into my web view, suck out all the HTML as it is now after I've adapted it, and stick it into the old web view in the background. Now I'm sure there might be a um, a better way of doing this, but uh, you know, uh, after extensive googling and whatever, um, you know, there's radars on this uh, that seem to be outstanding. So there we are. So uh, it's it's been a, it's been good because I've learned loads about WK WebView and my opinion of it today is a lot less than it was, you know, a couple a couple of uh, sorry, a lot better than it was a couple of days ago. Although that sounds. Um, but it is, you know, it didn't need to be that hard. So I am very tempted to do some tutorials on it but um, and, and do a blog post on it. But uh, that, that requires time. But um, maybe on a future airplane flight or something, I might do that. So uh, there, who knows? The, Mike, I could return to the, the world of blogging. Wow. Well, now that we've determined that the title of this episode will be Two Old Men Complaining, I get to complain. Can I complain now? You can. Do you know? You do know. I. I think I let it expire um, a couple of days ago. But uh, um, I, I did own the domain Grumpy Old Developers. Oh God! <laughs> I did seriously think about uh, just using it for this as well, but uh, I, I didn't in the end. <laughs> but you can complain. Yes, complain away, John. So. Uh... I had a design I had to implement that uh, essentially is a, ta is a table view. And so if you have something that looks in, like a table view and walks like a table view and quacks like a table view, that should be a table view. And because I was reusing some existing code that was already set up to use a table view, um, I implemented it as a table view until I looked at the design and got to the point where the designer wanted a crisp single pixel rule to separate each table. So I was like, that should be easy, no problem. But then of course you can't do that. You can't set the, the separator. You can't you can set the inset of the separator. You can set the separator style, but you can't set its you can't set its height. And for whatever reason it's frozen at what essentially appears to be two points, which ends up being four to, to six pixels, you know, depending on the screen that you have. And so you, you, you can't make it work to make it very, very thin and crisp. Um, and since I don't like being beaten up by designers, I find it embarrassing. I said, well, okay. And you start Googling and say, well, what have other people done? Because I assume all problems have already been solved. And most of the suggestions are saying, well, just add a custom view, no problem. And you can have a height constraint and in the height constraint in code, since you can't really do it in IB, and, but in code, you can set it to be, you know, one divided by the UI screen, main screen scale, right? So you'll, you will truly get, you know, what, what ends up as, as, as a single pixel line. And, uh, but uh, that works fine unless your table cell has, has an accessory view. And if it has an accessory view, if you add it to the content view, uh, which is the only way to do it in IB, it will be in the wrong part of the view hierarchy. And of course, it'll get resized. And so you say, that sucks. Because then you have uh, you know, a view whose, whose constraints you set up in IB where you want to do it, because I don't care what anybody says, having to use visual formatting language to do something that simple, which doesn't change, is just the wrong way to have to do it. And so 
that didn't work because you know you 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 could you could have the view that would have already been set up in in your zip file but then if you remove it from the view hierarchy your constraints get destroyed but finally i just decided on on the old standby brute force stupidity and ended up creating a shape layer and just adding it to the table cells you know label uh, layer rather and and of course that worked but you know, this is part and parcel of of experiences where you have to, you know, kind of suffer through something and you don't feel like you've really advanced the state of the art and you've learned something. Mostly what you've learned is patience. And then you complain about it to one of your colleagues and you go, yeah, that's why I hate table views and table cells because, you know, collection views are so much easier and so much more modern, which truthfully they are. And it's very easy to make a, a collection view look like a table view. But there again, you know, you kind of have to pick your battles. Do you rewrite something that has already been working and set up to use table views um, and, and existing table cells? Um, or do you write, rewrite the entire world? And in the end, had I known what I've known, I probably could have, you know, saved the time and just use a collection view. But you don't know that while you're trying to solve a problem. So that's complaint number one. Would you like to hear complaint number two? Oh, no, no. Let me just let me just uh, come back on that one there because that that is a really good point that you know you, you look at something and you're saying that um, uh, you, know, you should swap something out. So for I was doing exactly the same. I'd looked at something I was writing this code uh, this this week and it was using the old web view. I had to hold to a whole bunch of other stuff in the code. I thought, well, well, you know, we'll go to WK web view. Um, you know, nice the, the modern version and you know. For lots of good reasons, for JavaScript rendering and things, it is a thousand times faster, um, stuff like that. But you know, it, it, you, because it's sometimes unpredictable. These little things. Who would have known that it was a single line that was going to cost you however many days? Um, and you know, in your head, I feel anything like me, you were thinking, well, you know, adding a single line, doing some testing. Yes, we've got to allow for different you know screen sizes. So you know, you know, we'll, we'll put the morning aside for that. Um, you know, and then when you're still on it the next day and whatever else, you're thinking, oh, maybe then I should have gone back and changed it to the collection view but now you're already a day or a day and a half or two days into it and you're still looking at well actually i could have changed the collection view but if i go back and now do it that's another two days you know and um you end up spending four days implementing a line uh so yeah it's it's it in hindsight you know to say i will go back to the collection view um sounds uh you know sounds like it would have been the right call but you know we've we've both taken the opposite calls this week on that. You tried to carry on working with TableView. I changed to a new one and we both end up in the same place. So, you know, it is, you know, this, these are hard judgment calls. I think, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it ta- the thing is TableView does what it does and it does it pretty well for most things. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like anyone could be accused of wrongly using a table view. However, if you were starting a new um, view today, uh, you know, and let's not forget that in the early days, um, Collection View had masses of issues um, and, and just often didn't work at all. Um, you know, whereas now, you know, and so lots of us just almost dismissed it for that type of thing and only used it when we had to. But of course, now a few years down the line, it's been, uh, you know, just quietly been improving in the background. And so really today, if you start something that requires even a table like layout, you're probably better off going for a collection view if it's new. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do every time you touch a piece of code with a table view in it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Mm. Well, now moan away something else. All right, so something else. Now I get to complain about Swift. So uh, I uh, 
do a lot of work with localization. I just keep saying there were some command line tools written by a colleague who's no longer there um, who decided, well, this would be a good case to use Swift. And, and it's very, very, well, relatively simple bit of, of code that takes strings files, localizable strings files, parses them, you know, and submits them to a web service and does the opposite, takes them from the same web service and writes out localizable strings files. And, you know, it, there's nothing terribly complicated about it. Some, you know, string manipulation and invocation of, of you know, uh, and an Earl, uh, Earl task, Earl session task. And, uh, but it was done in Swift and it was done about a year ago and we had to make the switch to Xcode 8, uh, 8.3 recently for other reasons. And that was the time, that was the cutoff time for when you had to convert Swift code. And this is the case where I figured, okay, well, how could, it, how bad could it be? Just let the, you know, the conversion tools do its thing. And, uh, <laughs> It was much more complicated than I thought it needed to be, and I had to, to get some help from somebody else who's been through more of that than I have. Um, in the end, I got it working. And uh, But it's, again, it's kind of like, wow, you know, I did not advance the state of the art. And not to start a whole rant, but this is a case where, you know, in hindsight, probably there was no particular value. There was there's no value to the 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 project in doing it swift because there was nothing that it could do that would make it any better. It was no faster because it was written in Swift. All it added was a, you know was a bunch of overhead to deal with the fact that it has to be had to be converted. It will probably have to be converted one more time at least. But it was it was good for the the engineer who did it to, who was able to get you know uh, you know uh, experience writing Swift, and it kind of made me. It made me feel, uh, on the one hand, kind of vindicated for not feeling bad about about you know not having done much Swift to date. On the other hand, you know I haven't done much Swift to date, and so I haven't been through this pain. But this is the type of pain that I don't think really benefits anything. It's 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 good for the language, but the pain, you know, it's it's like one of those uh, I guess what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type of things. But uh, as I advance, I just I I really like to you know spend my time as much as possible doing things that are truly new and, and I think are, are truly interesting and not these type of annoying, you know, <laughs> eating eating the vegetables you hate because your parents tell you to and, and because, you know, you think that you have to. Yeah, the I the, the switch from Swift two point three was it two point three to Swift three were was particularly painful. And and in fairness, it's a lot of it wasn't down to the language. A lot of it was down to, um, up until Swift 2.3, Apple had pretty much stuck with um, things like foundation or everything stayed exactly the same whether you were using it in Swift or um, uh, or Objective-C. And it's, you know, and it worked, but... It was, you know, I think the way that people often talk about it is the the sort of method names and, and everything in the classes were quite unswifty because of you know, just the way they were. You know, we, we typically, you know, a method in an objective C class, the first parameter that the method is going to take will be part of the, the method name. So, you know, do something with view and then the first parameter is a view and... Um, whatever, and equal everything's NS. And the decision was made in Swift 3 to to modernize the class names and lose the NS, which obviously causes things to break everywhere, and to 
and to break away from the Objective C naming method and keep the, and move Foundation to having a uh, Swift based naming method. So do something with view would now have become do something that has a first parameter of view or with view even, um, which actually when you're writing Swift 3 from scratch and whatever else makes the code a lot more, feel a lot more natural and whatever else. However, it did mean that virtually everything broke. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I do, I don't believe the switch to Swift four is going to be anything like as painful. The switch from Swift, uh, Swift one to Swift two was annoying, but not painful. I think, you know, I think, I think in Swift three, they chose to change some stuff saying that, no, no, we've got to make this stuff more Swift like, and if we don't do it now, we'll never do it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh, very hard on people, but um, I, I do. I also do think that you know they probably had one last go at being able to do that, and so to do it was the right thing. Yeah, yeah I agree. What else? I thought I had something else to complain about, but I think two complaints in one episode is probably okay. Yeah, that's uh, hi. Well, John, uh, this weekend I'm off to the uh, land of chocolate and cuckoo clocks. Really? Oh, that's good. What are you going to do? You're not going to go to Swiss Swiftland? Yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, I am off to Swiss Switzerland for a, a conference, um, the App Builders Conference. Uh, and I'm quite, um, uh, I'm quite excited by this conference. Uh, I think last year was its first year. Um, and I did, a, I did a talk there last year and I... And I hosted a track, which is um, hosting a track at someone else's conference, I realize is a lot of work because, um, you know, when you're hosting your own conference and things are not necessarily running on time or something's going wrong, you can just make executive decisions. When you're hosting someone else's conference, you can't do that. And yet you're still in the position where you need to make decisions. And it's, you know, it's quite a um, stressful is probably too strong a word because I don't tend to get stressed by that thing. But it's uh, um it's not a relaxing day, shall we put it? So, um, uh, so I'm not hosting a track there this time, and I'm not even actually giving a talk. But I'm I'm doing three interviews, on stage interviews with three different people, um, where we're taking on the format of for the first uh, first twenty minutes. I'm going to be uh, interviewing them with my questions and, and stuff, and um, then for the uh, second twenty minutes, we're going to be taking uh, questions from the audience or questions that the audience have already submitted, so that people don't have to be embarrassed about asking them, and I get to select the questions or whatever. Um, and you know, I'm talking with a a, a really wide range of um, people uh, that is, is making me quite, sort of quite interested to see how it goes, to see how the conference responds to it. So um, uh, this isn't necessarily the order I'm doing, but I'm, I'm uh, speaking with uh, Laura Kalbag, who is mm-hmm. a, a a UK designer, I think, who is now based in Sweden. Um, I think she's in Sweden now, um, but she's very much into ethics mm. and privacy. So that's going to be, I think, an interesting um, conversation. Um, I'm interviewing uh, Martin Odersky, who is the inventor of the La- Scala language or Scalar language, however you want to pronounce mm-hmm. it, um, which, uh, you know, this is a joint iOS and Android conference. So maybe you know, that's more interesting. But just talking to a language inventor is um, going to be a, a fun, I would think. And... Um, uh, I'm going to get these names wrong. Uh, Sergey Glazer, who is a particle physicist and uh, ML developer from CERN. Wow. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's uh, I think that yeah, it is at a tech conference. These are 
people who are not necessarily directly related to the technology we're doing, but are dealing with tech things. And um, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, of course, you know, people might respond and say, no, I've come to a, an iOS and Android conference. Just give me John talking about table views. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that people have a wider thought of opinion on this. So I'm quite, uh, quite excited by this. So um, going to be interested to see how it goes. Indeed. Uh, well, I'm very much looking forward to hear what you have to say, uh, what you, the discussion with, with Laura is. I mean, is she with Aral do the, you know, do the, the indie software, right? That's right. Yeah. And I've, I've been a supporter of it. I, I mean, I think that it, it, you know, the, the more we hear about these revelations, the more that, uh, people really should care about the privacy of their dealings with the internet. It's gotten particularly bad in the United States where it's now legal for ISPs to basically sell your browsing history and, and everything that they can determine, which is pretty much everything, despite whether, despite if you use uh, porn mode in, in your browser, say you can ultimately find out what's going on if, at the ISP end and, you know, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, it's going to be um, interesting. And, and we're both quite keen to, although the talk is um, effectively, sorry, the interview is effectively around privacy. It's the the, the bigger world of the ethics around it um, are, uh, you know, I think are just as important. The 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 container in which privacy sits, I think, is is where a lot of the work needs to be done. Because if that's right, then privacy just makes sense, um, as opposed to fighting for it as a individual thing. The whole ethical background of of, of our industry and what we do, yeah, it's quite important. So. Um, yeah, so I'm in- interested to see how that goes. It's going to be a. Uh, I hope it's going to be fun. Um, so there we are. So off there into Switzerland, we'll see see how it goes. That is good. Okay, well now I have. Okay, you you said you're happy news. So there's also one bit of happy news I'm very much looking forward to is that uh, James Dempsey and the Breakpoints is indeed playing another show at Dub Dub. It will be on the Wednesday, and uh, it's going to be great because it's at a theater that's that holds two thousand people. Now I kind of seriously doubt that we're going to sell that one out. Um, but we definitely have more room, you know, to be able to, to pack in more people and therefore raise more money for App Camp for Girls, which I'm super proud to, to be raising money for. That's really cool because, I mean, the, the venue for the last couple of years has been about, about 650-ish. Something like that, yeah. And and it's sold out quite quickly, hasn't it? So, yeah. um, uh, so it's going to be uh, – 2,000 is quite a big leap, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I'll definitely be there. Yep. Um, I, I think basically it's a, it's a f- very fun evening. Are you drumming? I am drumming indeed. Excellent. It's it's a very fun evening and um, obviously the cause is uh, um, what the app camp for girls people do is uh, incredibly important. Um, and, uh, you know, so even if 2,000 people can't make it, 2,000 people should buy tickets. Yep, absolutely. And the way I look, yeah, and the way I look at it now, so there are 5,000 some people who are coming for Dum Dub. You know, uh, I don't know how many people who will be there, you know, kind of that didn't get tickets will be going to alt or the other things. But Apple, once again, was very nice and featured it on the, you know, you know, other things that are going on uh, during the same time. And uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's possible we'll come close. I think even if we were to do a thousand people to get 20 percent of the dub dub audience or just even to have a thousand people, it's a great audience to play for. And, and that's a solid chunk of change. So I'm very happy and very much looking forward to it. Well, this is, this is one of those times when being in San Jose may 
help because there is basically there will be less things to exactly. do exactly so the official conference i mean there's there's plenty of bars and restaurants in san jose it's not you know it's not like it's a desolate you know place of non-existence um it's but it's just you know it, it's not quite got the same entertainment factor just as a city um so you know places i think the things that have been advertised um yeah, and I suspect some of the parties that have existed in the past obviously will not happen this year. I know the big ones like Alt and other conferences have, but maybe some of the parties won't. So maybe these um, these advertised sort of events that Apple have put on there, what, what else is on? Uh, uh, stuff will we'll get bigger audiences, and hopefully they are in bigger venues. I've no idea if. Um, the Beard Bash and uh, John Gruber's uh, live recording of the talk, the talk show are in bigger venues this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they are, whether they're scaling up as well and whether Apple have encouraged them to scale up. Um, yeah, so that's that's cool. And I'm glad all the conferences moved. I mean, um, Alt, Conf and Layers are both there. And uh, Coco Conf next door is there this year. Now, which is, you remember a few years ago that um, when Dub Dub sold out, Coco Conf tried to set up a conference in the, I think it was the Continental Hotel just around the corner from Moscone. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up, because Apple do room bookings and everything there, they ended up sort of, um, the hotel cancelled them because they didn't want to be sort of seen to be putting something on that competed with their customer. You know, um, you know so that shows how things have changed to this year where CocoConf is actually um, on the Apple website. Yeah. Um, as a, a, Along with AltConf and... Um, uh, and layers, so uh, yeah, that's cool. I'm actually speaking at CocoConf, oh. so um, not quite sure when yet. Um, the organisers have been very, very cool and said, "Look, if you have a um, if you have a dub dub ticket, then then we will wait and see till the uh, the dub dub schedule comes out, so you can tell us, you know." when you think you'll be available to come and speak and, and then we'll work a schedule around that a little bit. So, um, you know, that's, that's really cool. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so, you know, they're all, I think it's great. We've got three very different conferences. We've got, a got AltConf, which is, I think very much a, a more of a um, holistic, Hmm. Uh, conference. It's not. It's not necessarily about the tech. It's more about the the who we are in tech. I think. I. I, I mean, there are tech talks and whatever. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that's. I'm. I'm just trying to. Um, uh, I, I'm just trying to be very generalistic here to help people who've never been to any of them understand the type of conference it is. So don't. Yeah. You know, I'm not. Yeah. You know, is it? Uh, we have uh, layers, which is probably a more of a design led conference. And then we have CocoConf, which is, you know, definitely a, a nuts and bolts tech conference. That's the way CocoConfs tend to work is, you know, um, very, very nuts and bolts tech conference. So, so that's that's a good range of things for people to to go and uh, go and visit. And I'm looking forward to I've never spoken at a CocoConf before. I have been to one, um, but I've never spoken at one. Um, so uh, that's uh, uh, going to be um, quite exciting. I'm not I'm not sure what I'm going to speak about yet either. So uh, we'll see. Well. So, I mean, we have, I'm, I'm glad that we were to kind of uh, wrap things up and, and have a positive ending because we started off with complain, complain, complain. It reminds me of, of, of Python. You know, I can't remember the exact sketch, but it was like, you're always complaining. Oh, so, oh, you're talking Monty Python. See, I thought you, I, no, I was trying no, to think, no. why, why, why did that remind you of the language Python? What is Python? What is, what has the Python language ever done to you? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yes. What, what's Python ever done for us? 
Nothing. <laughs> Broad, broadest indentation-based uh, compiler time errors. Oh yes. <laughs> I think I think we should probably uh, wrap up before uh, before before we get into too many Monty Python sketches and become a little bit developer stereotypical. Um, so so John, if people want to quote Monty Python at you, or even quote Python language at you, um, which would probably be more fun actually. Um, <laughs> I'd like to see how you do it. Um, how do you preserve those tabs in a tweet? Uh, uh, how do they get hold of you? Well, they can find me on the Twitters as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And uh, if you'd like to uh, speak to me, then you can do that uh, on Twitter again as MacDevNet. You can contact both of us uh, on feedback at iDeveloper.co and um, we would love to hear from you. Please go and give us a review on iTunes. Um, it helps other people find the show and it helps other people share your pain. So, and of course, we were speaking last week about our uh, our one listener. We had discovered as a one listener rotor, it, it would actually reduce the shift time of each, each person currently on the rotor. So there we go. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And until next time, you take care. 